This message was recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. It's amazing how natural that just happens. Good morning. Uh, thanks for being here. You can go ahead and open up your Bibles to Psalm chapter 19. Psalm 19. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one so you can just raise your hand and one of our ushers will bring you, bring you a Bible. Today we're going to continue our series on the Psalms. And we together have the tremendous privilege and joy this morning to read and hear God's holy word. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. Theologian and author J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, provides this illustration. He says, imagine now that we are going to be introduced to someone whom we feel to be above us, whether in rank or intellectual distinction or professional skill or personal sanctity or in some other respect. The more conscious we are, of our own inferiority, the more we shall feel that our part 
is simply to attend to him respectfully and let him take the initiative in the conversation. Think, think of meeting the queen or the Duke of Edinburgh. We would like to get to know this exalted person, but we fully realize that this is a matter for him to decide, not us. If he confines himself to courteous formalities with us, we may be disappointed, but we do not feel able to complain. After all, we had no claim on his friendship. But if instead he starts at once to take us into his confidence and tell us frankly what is in his mind on matters of common concern, and if he goes on to invite us to join him in particular undertakings he has planned, and asks us to make ourselves permanently available for this kind of collaboration whenever he needs us, then we shall feel enormously and will make a world of difference to our general outlook. If life seemed footling and dreary hitherto, it will not seem so anymore. Now that the great man has enrolled us among his personal assistants, here is something to write home about. Here is something to live up to. His point is that if, if this would be our experience, this great joy uh, with someone that we admire, of getting to know someone we admire or respect or esteem, how much more with the God of the universe? The difference is, with God, we don't have to worry about Him being reluctant or formal or distant from us. It's not like sitting across the table from someone who's hard to get to know, where it feels like pulling teeth to get them to speak. No, no, God speaks loudly. And it's His joy to reveal Himself to us. That's what this psalm is all about. God's self-disclosure in creation and in His Word. His glory speaks. Main point this morning, and what I think God wants to accomplish in our hearts is that we would be in awe of this. Is that we would be in awe of God's gracious revelation of Himself. We'd be amazed. We'd be freshly amazed. God wants to be known. And it's a joyful privilege to be invited to know Him. J.I. Packer later says in the same book that knowing God is a relationship calculated to thrill a man's heart. I think that's exactly what God wants to do in our hearts this morning with this psalm. I think He wants to make us freshly amazed at His invitation for us to know Him and to thrill our hearts in doing so. Three points in this psalm. Firstly, God's Word of creation, verses 1-6. to six. Secondly, God's word of Scripture, verses 7 to 11. And then lastly will be God's gift of redemption in verses 12 to 14. So, first, God's word of creation, verses 1 to 6. The heavens declare the glory of God every single day. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. Every night reveals His knowledge. Creation is not simply something pretty to look at or to take pictures of. A sunrise is not just a sunrise. The Smoky Mountains are not just the Smoky Mountains. They are a sermon. They are a word from the Lord. They reveal something to us about Him. 
They teach us about His greatness and His glory and His strength and His might and His wisdom. It's, it's a witness to Him. And it's obvious. And it's clear. Verse 3, no speech, no words, no voice is not heard. Verse 6 says, nothing is hidden from the Son's heat. This is what Bill talked about last week in Psalm 29 when we see the glory of God in the thunderstorm. John Calvin says, the world was no doubt made that it might be a theater of divine glory. That's exactly right. And David has taken notice. So I want us to notice something in here is David's meditation. Notice David's meditation. This wasn't pinned. These verses weren't pinned in a hurry. This wasn't quickly noted. This flowed out of a heart that was steeped in meditation and contemplation on God's world, God's creation. David had paused to take notice. And he's not being scientific in his explanation, he's simply taking notice of exactly what God intended him to take notice of. Namely, that it is God who sets the tent for the sun. It is God who calls it out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber with determination and resolve. It is God who calls it to run its course across the sky with joy. The point is, the Son is God's servant. This fiery, massive ball of burning energy, this does the bidding of God Most High. God says, rise, and it obeys. It's meant to teach us something. It's meant to show us something about God's power and authority, even His providence and His wisdom. Every day, Every day, God's glory is proclaimed. One day is not enough. Day after day after day. And the night also. What happens at night when the stars come out and we're able to look up and see? We learn something. It reveals something. We are small. And God, who knows them all by name and upholds them all by His power, is glorious and mighty and majestic. David has sat down and contemplated these things. He's taken notice. It's taken time, but he's done it. And it's caused him to worship. The world is full of the grandeur of God. He is not reluctant to tell us about himself. He wants us to know him. So when is the last time you intentionally stopped and meditated? on God's glory in creation? When's the last time you stopped and thought about what it teaches you? We've already talked about this. In the fall, glorious things become, they lose their luster. John Piper says that's why people go on vacation in the Alps and they sit in their chalet and watch TV. That's why. We need to fight for a renewed sense of awe in creation. Joe Rigney who wrote a great book called The Things of Earth, said, Our love for God, if it is to be an accurate reflection of God's love, it must, it must also lead us to a deep and profound and fitting love for creation. Uh, Sarah and I are new parents. 
which has been such a gift. You knew an illustration was coming about our new baby, so I had to. So It isn't uncommon, we were just talking about this the other day, it's not uncommon for us to just find ourselves sitting there staring at this new baby girl. Now sometimes it's because we're so afraid of the sound she makes and we don't know, is something wrong? But most of the time, it's because we're just marveling. <laughs> Both of us have been brought to tears multiple times. Might be because of the sleep deprivation. <laughs> but I really do think it's because we're aware of how amazing she is. She was created in the womb by God. She's an undeserved gift to us. It's, she's something that He did. God did that. When we see all the details of her face and her arms and her little hands, God did that. He paid attention to detail and His tender cares being revealed. We're learning something about God and His glory. I think this is how we want to be daily. About all manner of things. We want to be students of creation. So Psalm 29 teaches us, in the thunderstorm, God reveals His power and His might. In the summer rains, we see God's provision. In the details of, of a flower petal and how crazy it is and how beautiful it is, we see God's intimate knowledge and design. In the slow growth of the pine trees of the northwest, we see God's patience and His steadfastness. In the mother mockingbird who will attack your head if she thinks you are threatening her chicks, we see God's desire to defend His own. The world is full of the character of God. It's crowded with Him. I, I just want us as a church body to be freshly amazed at this. And humbled at this. You know, the, the reality is we do not deserve to know God. And yet, it is His glory, it's His joy to reveal Himself to us. It's His delight to reveal Himself to us. He wants to be known. So let's not be in too much of a hurry that we miss these things. Be in awe of God's Word of creation. But David moves on. Because as glorious as creation is, as amazingly it reveals God to us, there is something even better. As Piper puts it, creation could not contain the glory of God alone. So it spilled out. And it spilled out and overflowed onto the pages of Scripture. And that's exactly where David goes. So point two, God's word of Scripture. The law of the Lord is perfect. It's perfect. In this section, verses 7 to 11, David moves from his pondering on God's creation, how great it is, how marvelous it is, to a revelation from God that's even better. A revelation that's more sure. A revelation that's more profound. One that's even more necessary. One that is perfect. His very word. 
Do you know what you have in your Bible this morning? Do you know what you have in here? May God help us to be freshly amazed. I, I always admired my father-in-law before he was my father-in-law. I admired him from a distance. I knew he was a fine fly fisherman and a woodworker, a hardworking man who served this church. I had known about him from his, some of his kids and people who knew him better than I did, but I'll, but I'll never forget those first few conversations that I got to have with him when I started pursuing his daughter. I got to sit down with the Wes Priestley. And I got to hear directly from him. And I learned he was patient, and he was caring, and he was instructive. I learned he was a better fly fisherman than I thought. (laughs) Getting to know him by sitting down with him and hearing from him, it was better. And what we have in Scripture is God's very words. They're from his mouth given to us. It's a gift. So in these verses, we've got six statements about the Word of God. And in these six statements, we have six different names for the Word that tells us different characteristics of it. We have got six descriptions. We've got six effects that the Word has on our hearts. Six times the name Yahweh is used, the Lord, because the Word finds its ultimate origin in Him. So we're just going to go through these. Number one, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Verse 7, the law of the Lord. It's the Bible's favorite term for itself. It's most often a general term referring, referring broadly to all of Scripture, but when it's used specifically, it points to Mount Sinai, where God gave the law to Moses, this covenant relationship-establishing law. God's law is His instruction for all of life. His law lays claim to all of life, and it's perfect. It's perfect, meaning it is complete. It is comprehensive. It lacks nothing. This stands in utter contrast to man's wisdom, which is far from perfect. Man's wisdom is incomplete. And therefore it can be misleading and even corrupt and sometimes self-serving, but not God's law. No. His law is perfect. And because it's perfect and comprehensive, it can totally transform the inner person. Scripture is utterly sufficient for giving life to our souls. It revives us. And when we give ourselves to this word, to this law, when we are guided by it and governed by it, we are led to fullness of life. You know, His law is not meant to be this burden that we're just constantly resisting. His law is meant to be a joy. So, Does God's Word have that effect on your life? Is it having that effect on your life? Are you being transformed by this book? Do you sense your need for revival in your soul? Go to the Word. It's a gift from Him for that purpose. You know, we read Psalm 19 
in the context of Psalm 1, which sets the tone for the whole Psalter. And the man in Psalm 1 is the man who delights in the law of God and meditates on it day and night, and in all he does, he prospers. God's law is perfect, reviving the soul. Secondly, the testimony of the Lord is sure. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. God's testimony, it's His witness about all things. His witness about all things, including His witness about Himself. And because it's from God, and God is sure, His testimony is sure. It's unmistakable, it's trustworthy, it's unwavering. It's reliable. This is the most reliable thing we have. Think about what you base your trust in, especially if you're in an argument with somebody. Is it Google or Wikipedia, maybe WebMD? God's Word is the surest foundation of all. We can trust it. And because it's sure and trustworthy, you know what it does? It transforms us simple and undiscerning and foolish people, and it makes us wise. You know, left to ourselves and our own means, the only thing that's sure is we're going to be in a mess. It's the one thing that's sure. We are not discerning. We are not wise, but when we are given to and we rely upon this word, it makes us wise for all of life. Do you feel lack of wisdom? Do you feel a need for wisdom? Go to the word. It's the surest foundation. The precepts of the Lord are right. Verse 8, rejoicing the heart. God's precepts are His guidelines. His guidelines which direct us on the right path. They are the right directions. And we rejoice when we're on the right path. Being on the right path is good. Being on the wrong path produces sorrow. Has Siri ever led you astray? It's not uncommon. It can be very frustrating to get wrong directions. This past May, we were celebrating our anniversary. I wanted to take Sarah to this viewing of the Shawshank Redemption that I found on some events list in Knoxville at some special venue. So after dinner, I plugged in the address to, to the phone, and away we went trusting that Siri knew exactly where to take us. After a few odd turns, Siri said, arrived, and I thought, are you sure? It looked strange, but I wanted to check it out, so we got out of the car, and we started approaching, we started approaching this venue, and it was not a viewing of the Shawshank Redemption. We almost walked into kind of a wild bachelorette party. <laughs> so I had to grab Sarah's arm and took off running to the car, and we got out of there. God's precepts keep us on the right path. We don't have to guess if this is right. We don't have to guess which turn to take. We don't have to live in a fog. We can know the right way. Isn't that reassuring? We can know what pleases God. We can know what His will is. We can know how He wants us to live our lives. His word is clear. It's understandable. And it's meant for our joy. What a blessing. Scripture addresses every need of the human heart. Do you believe that? Will you let it guide you? Is there confusion in your life? 
Do you feel a lack of clarity? Go to the Word. You know, we, we can be so wedded to our own wisdom that we don't glean the life-giving properties from God's Word. We need to recognize that, turn from self, and love living in the precepts of God. Notice the progression. The Word revives us. And then it makes us wise. And then it fills us with joy. And then it enlightens our eyes. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Enlightening the eyes. Scripture is God's mandate. It's His authoritative, binding, non-optional Word. God's Word is not a book of suggestions. This book carries weight. It is authoritative. It is a non-negotiable. Maybe you find that offensive, especially in this day where we don't ever want to be told to submit to some authority that we can't control. But because God is true, and because God's Word is true, because it comes from Him, because it is pure, far from being offensive when told to submit our lives to this, it is freeing. Our eyes are enlightened by the Word to see things we could not see otherwise. God's Word opens our eyes to understand spiritual realities, to understand ultimate reality. God's Word opens our eyes to see God in greater ways, and then when we see Him in greater ways, we see ourselves more clearly and recognize our need for Him. So is there any area of your life you are not submitting to the Word of God? If you submit yourself to His authority, you'll be wise and your eyes will be enlightened. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Mike did a great job on a message on the fear of the Lord a few weeks ago when he closed our series on Ecclesiastes. Jerry Bridges says that the fear of the Lord is rever reverential awe for him. The Bible is a manual on worship. It, it teaches us who to fear. And it teaches us how to fear him, how to worship him, how to revere him, fearing God is man's right response to this revealed word. And fear of the Lord is a good thing. His word is clean. It's without impurity. It contains no corruption, no evil. You will never find in Scripture, you will never find in Scripture any misrepresentation of God or man or the universe. Nothing in here has been sullied by sin. It's a perfect resource for us, completely trustworthy. And because it is without sin, this will endure forever. There's no new resource we need. Now, I, I am so grateful and, and love the, all the books that are published every year that are meant to help us in our Christian lives. The bookstore is full of them. It's, it's a gift from God, absolutely. But those books are only as valuable as they enable us to read and understand this book. 
There is one book of supreme importance, and that's this book, God's Word, the book. It endures forever. And isn't that freeing? We don't have to go searching. We don't have to go searching for something else. We have it all right here. Lastly, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. God's rules are His verdicts, His judgments, His judicial decisions that He has made in His sovereign rule. And because God is holy, we can know that His judgments are always righteous. They're always good and true. They're never stained by preference or bias or any form of wickedness. And again, doesn't this contrast to man The wickedness of man, even men in righteous places who are supposed to make righteous decisions can often not. God's word is righteous. And when we give ourselves to this word, it's going to produce righteousness in our lives. That's what's going to happen as we align it with God's word. You know, following rules, following God's rules is not legalism. It's just plain smart. It is wise. It's a gift for us. This is the word of the Lord. It is all we need. It is sufficient. It is clear. It is authoritative. It strengthens. It revives. It nourishes. No wonder David cries out, more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Do you see God's word this way? Is that your response to this word? John Calvin says, We do not esteem the law as it deserves if we do not prefer it to all the riches of the world. I was convicted myself during this prep for this message about the way I view God's Word. I read it and I get into it, but I think, I think sometimes I can fail to treasure it for what it is. I can sometimes forget what a gift. I need to be reminded. What we have in God's Word, it should fill us with the greatest sense of gratitude and joy Can you believe God has given us this book? Can you believe God extends this incredible invitation for us to know Him? This book affects us. It changes us. It sustains us. You know, people have died for this book. People have given their lives to translate it and preserve it and take it different places in the world. And now, here we hold it, and we got a stack of free ones in the back of the room. What a joy. What a gift. You know, there are videos on the internet of cultures receiving God's Word for the first time in their language. And when they receive it, they weep for joy. Is that your response? 
Is that our response to this word? Do you love God's word like that? John MacArthur, where do we go to find salvation? Where do we go to find the skill of living in daily life? Where do we go to find an overcoming joy through all the trials of life? Where do we go to get light on the dark things of life? Where do we go for a permanent resource that never changes? Where do we go for truth? There's only one answer. God's Word. The Bible. Nowhere else can we find that which can totally transform the whole person. Make him wise. Bring him joy. Enlighten his eyes. Be permanently relevant and produce comprehensive righteousness. It is not uncommon for us to struggle to get into God's Word consistently. It's not uncommon. It it can be easier to wake up and start our days with Twitter or Instagram instead of the Word of God. It can be easier to get out of bed and just start working and put off reading and then we eventually forget about it all together. In those moments, I just want you to ask, what does this say about ourselves? When we neglect God's Word, what does it say in that moment of how, we think, how much we think we need God? How do we grow? How do we grow in committing ourselves to prioritizing the Word of God? I've learned many a lesson on Bill's porch. And I'll never forget one night sitting on his porch with a few people, a man who had come in to speak on a Sunday, was there on the porch with us. And this man asked Bill, Bill, how do you encourage the members of your church to regularly, regularly get into God's Word? This man said at their church, what he does is he'll regularly ask people this question. What's one specific thing you've read in the last week or two that you have specifically applied to your daily life and how have you applied it. So he's really getting after specifics. How, how has the word specifically been applied in your life? What change have you made because of something specific you read in the word? I thought that was a great question. I still do. I think that's good for maybe accountability with trying to encourage one another, maybe fellowship with, with what we're reading. But I'll just never forget when he turned to Bill and said, Bill, what do you do? You know what Bill said? He said, I pray. I pray that God would give the congregation an insatiable desire for him. So much so that they must go to his word and find delight in him. I was very affected by that. That's what we need, isn't it? We need God to work in our hearts. We need God to cause us to delight in him above all all the things, all things, so that we'd be motivated to read and to seek him and know him better in his word. If If you're struggling with getting into God's word, if you need a fresh devotion to God's word, pray. Ask the Lord to create that desire in you. Ask God to help you see how glorious this word is and then read it. Just do it. 
Just start reading. John Piper, in his excellent book, Reading the Bible Supernaturally, says, by reading, we can see divine glory by the most ordinary act. We can see the most wonderful reality. A surge of joy goes through me when I think about this. In that book, by the act of reading, I may see the glory of God, O Lord. Incline my heart to that book and not to vanity. We're only going to treasure God's Word as much as we behold it to be the treasure it is. So ask the Lord to do that in your heart. One specific encouragement, read Psalm 119. It's a long psalm, but read it slowly. And ask the Lord to make the heart of the psalmist for His Word, make it your heart as well. God's Word revives our souls. It makes us wise in life. It refreshes and it rejoices our hearts. And as we prioritize it and cling to it, we will come to desire it more and more and more. And when we keep this Word, as verse 11 says, there is great reward. Because God's Word leads us to what we need most. And that's point three. God's gift of redemption. All this contemplation on God's revelation of Himself and in His creation and in His Word, it leads David to pray. In verses 12 to 14, and this should be our response as well. Let's read that again. Verse 12 to 14. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. When we when we see God's might and His power in creation, when we see His holiness and His righteousness in His Word, then we, just like David, just like Isaiah, what we read from earlier, we become immediately aware of our unfitness to be in His presence because of our sin. God's creation lays us bare. It leaves us without an excuse we must acknowledge God's power and eternal nature. That's Romans chapter 1. God's word pierces our hearts. It also leads us bare, exposing our thoughts and our deeds and our wickedness. That's Hebrews chapter 4. So at the end of Psalm 19, David's heart is pierced. The word has had its effect. He saw God's righteousness, and you know what he realized? he realized he wasn't righteous. He saw God's holiness and he realized, I am not holy. The more aware we are of God, the more aware we are of our distance from Him, the more aware we are of our need for Him to redeem us. That's why David prays, Lord, declare me innocent. Lord, keep me back from sin. Lord, make me acceptable. He prays those things because he's not those things. He's not innocent. 
He's not free from sin. He's not acceptable in God's sight. He even confesses there's hidden sin. He knows he's sinful, but there are sins he doesn't even know about. We all have hidden sin. Hidden sin is not hidden because it's too small to see. It's hidden because it's too characteristic to register. And the practice of the Roman Catholic Church is part of securing forgiveness. People confess their sin to a priest. What we learn right here is if you spent all day, every day at the confessional, you still aren't going to cover it all because there are hidden sins we still don't know about. He prays, prays for God to forgive him that. He prays that God would keep him back from presumptuous sin so that they wouldn't dominate over him. The point is, if God doesn't restrain our evil hearts, we will spiral into the worst we could be. If God doesn't restrain the sin in our lives, it will restrain us. It will dominate over us. So what do we do? Well, we cry out, like David, for mercy. How will you respond to God's revelation of himself? What will you do when you are undone in your sin before His holiness? Some dismiss it. Some will see the sunset and remain willingly blind to their Creator. May that be no one in this room. May no one in here remain willingly blind to what God has so obviously declared. God is not reluctant to reveal himself. He does it every day, graciously, willingly, lovingly. Why? Oh, all so that we would acknowledge him. And in acknowledging him, all so that we would see our need for him. So that we would find our life in him. The only response that is proper is to flee to the mercy of God. But how can we hope for these things? How can we hope to be made innocent? How can we hope to be made acceptable? We know we are guilty. Well, there is one more word of God that we have to talk about this morning. It's not mentioned here explicitly in Psalm 19, but there are shadows and pointers for sure. John chapter 1 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The final Word of God. Greater than creation. Greater than Scripture. God's revelation of Himself in and through His Son, Jesus Christ. How can anyone pray to be blameless? How can anyone pray to be innocent or acceptable? It is only through this Word. Jesus Christ. Christ, the Son of God. Christ became flesh and died in the place of sinners. He bore God's wrath for our sin that he might reconcile us to God. Though David, in this psalm, might not say his name, he clings to his benefits, forgiveness, mercy, and redemption. You know, apart from Christ, God's word is not sweet like honey. It is bitter. But in Christ, God's word 
becomes the surest joy and foundation of our souls because it teaches us about our Redeemer. And that's how the psalm ends. David cries out, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. The psalm doesn't end on avoiding sin. It doesn't end with God as the accuser or the judge. It doesn't end with all the things we must do now to make ourselves acceptable in His sight. No, it ends with God, You are my Redeemer. This is our only response to His revelation is to hope in Him. Are you aware? Are you aware of God's generous mercy to lovingly reveal Himself to you? Do you see it as the gift it is? God is not reluctant. God is not reluctant to speak with us. He's not reluctant to invite us into fellowship with Him. Do you feel distant from God? Maybe you, maybe you say you just long for a word from Him. My encouragement to you is to look around. God has spoken, and He speaks loudly. Go to the Word. This week, in application and to close, I just want to encourage you to set your heart to meditate on how God has revealed Himself to you. Meditate on creation. Take intentional time and stop and meditate on creation and what it's teaching you. See the glory of God in the things that He has made. Meditate on His Word. Make time to stop and to read His Word and see God's glory in Scripture. And meditate on Christ. Remind yourself of our redemption found in Jesus and see the glory of God in His face. And may God by His grace only continue to open our eyes more and more and more that with every new day, we might grow in seeing Him as He's revealed Himself to be, that He might be the delight in our soul, of our souls and we would stand in great awe of Him. Let's pray and ask for Him to do that in our hearts. Lord, thank You for the gift of Your revelation. Thank You, Lord, that You are not silent, but it's Your delight to reveal Yourself. Our prayer this week is that You'd help us to see. Open our eyes, O Lord. Open our eyes so that we would see Your glory in creation that we would see the heavens declaring Your glory. Open our eyes that we might behold the wondrous things in Your law and we'd see Your glory in Your Word. Open our eyes that we would see Christ more clearly and that we would stand all the more in awe at Your merciful redemption in Him. Lord, we need help. Left to ourselves, we struggle and we are blind and glorious things grow dull. But Lord, in You, we have hope. 
for seeing you all the more clearly. We pray you'd help us to do that, and we thank you in advance for working in our hearts, Lord. Make your revelation a delight to our soul, we pray in Jesus' almighty and everlasting name. Amen. You've been listening to a message recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us on the web at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in celebrating God's grace and pursuing God's purpose.